I want you to look at Numbers chapter 21. We'll be reading in verse 1. The Bible says this, And when King Arad, the Canaanite, which dwelt in the south, heard tell that Israel came by the way of the spies, then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. And Israel vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, If thou wilt indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord hearkened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them and their cities. And he called the name of the place Hormah. Let's pray before we begin. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity. We thank you so much for the uh, way in which you've provided for Colleen and her family. And Father, I pray that you would continue to give Henry good days. I pray that you would help him to be an encouragement to his children and his grandchildren. I pray that he would continue to draw people closer to Christ. Thank you for the miracle. Father, we, we do trust you for the results now. And Father, we pray that you would continue to work here in this place. Father, today is a day that is set aside especially for you. Father, we've come to worship you and to learn how, to, how we can draw closer to you. And Father, I pray that you would guide us in this. And Father, I pray that you would guide my lips. And I would only say the things that you want me to say. And Father, that you, you would allow us all to have ears to hear today. We love you so much. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. And Father, if there's one here today that doesn't know you, I pray that they would know that they're never too broken for Jesus. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a great story, and this is really the first time that we see Israel conquering anything in their, uh, since they tried to enter the promised land. And uh, so this is quite a big deal, but I want to preach to you a message that I've entitled Circumstantial Reactions. Circumstantial Reactions. Number one, I want you to see the circumstances. In all things, you should notice what are, what's going on around you. And in this instance, you should notice that the first thing that I want you to see under the circumstances is, is evicting Arad. Is evicting Arad, right? So here we are in verse 1. And the, when the king Arad, the Canaanite, which dwelt in the south, heard tell that Israel came by the way of the spies, then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. So he comes in. He takes uh, these, uh, he hears that they're sending in spies and they're looking around and they're trying to figure things out as to what they're trying to do and where they're trying to go. And they're going in and they're, they're doing all of these things. And he decides that he's going to take a proactive approach. And Arad decides he's going to go in and he's going to fight against just a small portion of them and take some of them captive. Sure enough, he does that. He, he's able to take some of them captive. And, and just like any good army, they want those captives back. And so I want you to notice what happens here in verse 2. And Israel vowed a vow unto who? The Lord. You see how they're starting to get it? You see how they're starting to pay attention to who the person is that they're supposed to be, to, supposed to be trusting in. So Israel vows a vow unto the Lord and said, If thou wilt indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their city. So God, listen, if you will allow us, we will go in and we will deliver these people. And if you deliver them to us, we will utterly destroy the Canaanites' cities. And in verse 3, And the Lord hearkened unto the voice of Israel. I love that. When you do right and you, and, you, and you go to the right person and you go to the right source, God will often hearken to your voice if it's in his will. And this is in his will. And so we see, and the Lord hearkened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites. And they utterly destroyed them and their cities. And he called the name of the place Hormah. And so here they are. They're in this victorious state. They're in this wonderful place. And they're just, I'm sure they're excited. Most of us get excited when something victorious happens, Right? If you don't, you, you, there's something definitely wrong with you. 
And the children of Israel go to God for help. And God hearkens to their voice. The second thing I want you to see under their circumstances is now they have to encompass an Edom, encompassing Edom. Now, so they just won a victory. I want you to look at verse 4. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And watch, and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. Much discouraged because of the way. The question is, why were they encompassing? You know what the word encompass means, right? It means go around. Why are they not going through the land of Edom? Why are they going around the land of Edom? By the way, if you look on a map, the land of Edom is not a small land. It's quite a large land. So let's go back. Let's take a look. Numbers chapter 20, right where we left off last week. Look, we finished with chapter verse 13 with the waters of Meribah because the children of Israel strove with the Lord and he was sanctified in them. But if you look at verse 14, we begin to get into a few things here. The Bible says that Moses sent messengers from Kadesh unto the king of Edom. Thus saith thy brother Israel, thou knowest all the travail that hast befallen us, how our fathers went down into Egypt, and we have dwelt in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians vexed us and our fathers. And when we cried unto the Lord, he heard our voice and sent an angel and hath brought us forth out of Egypt. And behold, we are in Kadesh, a city in the uttermost of thy border. Let us pass, I pray thee, through thy country. We will not pass through the fields or through the vineyards, neither will we drink of the water of the wells. We will go by the king's highway. We will not turn to the right hand nor to the left until we have passed thy border. So they begin to pour it on. You know people who come to you and give you the sob story first? And they say, listen, I've, I'm really struggling with this certain situation, and, and you know how it is, and you know, you've been there, and you know, we came from Egypt, and you know all of these things. Now, can you let us come through your border? Verse 17, they asked that. In verse 18, and Edom said unto him, thou shalt not pass by me, lest I come out against thee with the sword. All right. No, you can't come. Don't do it, you're not allowed. And the children of Israel said unto him, We will go by the highway. And if I and my cattle drink of thy water, then I will pay for it. I will only, without doing anything else, go through on my feet. Listen, we don't want to destroy fields. We don't want to destroy anything. If we drink any water, we'll pay for it. We just want to cut through your land. Because where they are and where they needed to go, it was right in the middle. No, he says in verse 20, and he said, thou shalt not go through. And then he makes a statement. And Edom came out against him with much people and with a strong hand. So he comes flying out there and says, no, you are not coming through. I'm coming with sword. I'm coming with all my men. You are not going to do it. Verse 21, thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through his border. Wherefore, Israel turned away from him. You see, Pastor Jones, why didn't they just fight him? Why didn't they just go out and start you know, killing all these people. I mean, that's what we see later on. Why didn't they just go in and destroy these things? Well, Genesis chapter 25 and verse 30 tells us that Edom is Esau. Does anybody know who Esau's brother was? Jacob. What was Jacob's name changed to? Israel. So they're brothers. Did you catch that in the first part of the... And Moses sent messengers from Kadesh unto the king of Edom. Thus saith thy brother Israel. You see, so there's a reason why God doesn't have them do this. There's a reason why God doesn't send them in. 
I want you to take a step over with me to Deuteronomy chapter 2. This just gives us a little bit more information on the story. Deuteronomy chapter 2 and verse 4. This is Moses looking back and recalling some things. Deuteronomy chapter 2 and verse 4. And command thou the people, the Bible says, saying, Ye are to pass through the coast of your brethren, the children of Esau, which dwell in Seir, and they shall be afraid of you. Take ye, take ye good heed unto yourselves, therefore meddle not with them. For I will not give you of their land, no, not so much as a footbreath, because I have given Mount Seir unto Esau for a possession. So Esau has a possession as well given to him by God. In verse 6, ye, can, ye shall buy meat of them for money that ye may eat, and ye shall buy water of them for money that ye may drink. For the Lord thy God hath blessed thee in all the works of thy hand. He knoweth thy walking through the great wilderness. These forty years the Lord thy God hath been with thee and hast lacked nothing. And so here's basically the idea is they can go around the edge and if they want to buy some things from them, they can. But they cannot go into the land of Edom. They are not to conquer. They are not to fight against. They are not to do anything against. They now have to go all the way around. It is much faster to go straight through from where they are in Mount Hor to where they need to go into the promised land. Much faster to go straight through. The fastest way between point A and point B is a straight line. Very good. Stay with me. So here they are. They've just won a victory. They've just done something great with God's power. And now they have to encompass the land of Edom. land of Edom is not in a necessarily wonderful place. It's in a wilderness. And so they're out here. They're in the wilderness. They're having to ask their brother for food. They're having to ask him for water. And they have to pay for it. And they're beginning to get a little weary of the journey. Go back to chapter 21 with me. And they journeyed from Mount Hor. By the way, end of chapter 20, Aaron dies in Mount Hor. So they were mourning for him there as well. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. You see, there are circumstances in our lives that often keep us discouraged, are there not? There are circumstances in our life where we think, oh. and it's constantly this funny roller coaster where you get like all excited and then let down. All excited and then, oh, we have to go all the way around. Oh, God's going to allow us to conquer. Yes, and we do, and we, okay, now we got to keep walking. And it gets a little bit frustrating and, and maybe you get these victories and you're beginning to feel like you, you are, are, are doing something for Christ. And so often in those moments we get a little bit impatient. And we begin to think, oh good, now we're stepping closer to the promised land. The Canaanites were the promised land. The land of Canaan was the promised land. And so they're like, yes, we're getting a little bit closer. Our 40-year tenure apparently is getting closer. Well, no, it's not. We have much more to do. And so often we think it should be going faster than it is. Ever been there? Oh, I just wish this would go faster. You're probably thinking that right now. <laughs> Why can't he just hurry up? We all do that. 
oh, I wish this traffic would get out of the way, or why isn't my life progressing the way that it should, or, or where am I going to go to college, or where am I going to work in the next five years, or we get all of these things and we think, why isn't my life going faster? And there's these circumstances that surround us, and our attitude is often a reflection of our circumstances, and I'm pretty sure it's pretty easy to see here. Your soul is discouraged because of the way, and when our circumstances are bad, we begin to complain about our circumstances. And here we are again. Number two, I want you to see the complaint. Here we are again. Israel is complaining. Numbers chapter 21, look at verse 5. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? How many times have we heard this? It just keeps happening over and over and over again. But then they says, for there is no bread Neither is there any water in our soul loatheth this light bread. The first thing I want you to see underneath the complaint is they complain about God's vision. God's vision. God promised them that they would be claiming the promised land. God promised them that they would go into the land which God had set aside for them. They would be going into that and they would be claiming that. They would conquer it. God promised them that they were his people and and that he would provide for them. And and here they are complaining about God's vision. Look what, what they say again. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Why did you bring us up to die in the wilderness? And, and again, remember their circumstances. Aaron just died. Aaron just passed away in Mount Hor. Okay, so now we're just all going to die here. We're all going to pass away. We're all going to be out here dying. And they begin to complain against God's vision for them. I want you to stop and think about something. Every single individual here this morning, God has a vision for your life. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. God has a vision. If you're still breathing, God has something for you. God has a vision for your life that he wants to accomplish through you. And so often we get weary because of the way and we get, we get sick of it and we begin to complain and say, God, how come you're not working in my life as fast as I think you should? So often happens and we complain about the path that God leads us on. God wants to achieve something through your life. And he's got something specifically planned for your life. We complain about the way that God does take us to those points in our life. You know what? There are certain things that you just go through. There are certain things that God leads you through. Do you think that it was any mistake that God allowed them to victoriously defeat Arad? No, I don't think it was any coincidence. Do you think it was any coincidence that Esau, Edom, said, you cannot go through my land? Do you think it was any coincidence? It absolutely was no coincidence. God had a plan for them. God was a, had a vision for them. God had a goal for them. And we often complain about the path that God takes us on. We ask God to do this. God, would you take these circumstances away from me? God, would you change my path, the path that you've created for me? Would you do this? Would you, would, you, would you say to God, or would you please take these things away? And we say to God, I don't want your vision for my life. I want to do it my way. I want to cut through the land of Edom. 
I don't want to go around it. I want to cut through it. It's easier if I cut through it. Well, folks, just listen. God has a reason. God has a reason he's allowing you to go around. God has a reason that he's making you encompass that instead of going through the middle of it. When we say and we complain, we are saying that we do not want to undergo or go through what it is that will get me to the place where you want me to be, God. You're you're saying, I don't want your best for my life. Whoa, Pastor Yeomans, whoa, that's not fair. If you believe that God has a purpose in everything, then yes, that's absolutely fair. And I believe God does for every person in this room. And so I want you to see the complaint against God's vision, but they don't stop there. They complain against God's blessing. If you look in verse uh, 5, there is no bread, neither is there any water. And watch this. And our soul loatheth this light bread. Our soul loatheth this light bread. You know what God's been providing for them for two or three years now? Manna. Manna. Okay, first of all, manna is a miracle. It was, it was bread that came up out of the ground ready to be eaten. It came up in, with the dew every morning, and it was this, this sustaining thing that God had provided for them, and, and he was giving it to them, and, and they, all they had to do was go out and gather it up every morning, not to leave any for the next day, because the next day there'd be more, and the next day there'd be more, and the next day there'd be more. And, we, and they begin to complain, and they say, our soul loatheth absolutely despises, looks down on. In fact, the look of it, the thought of it makes me ill. Can you picture their attitude? Huh. It's disgusting. I would never eat that. Can you picture them? They're, they're despising, they're loathing, they're, they're complaining about God's blessings. And so often, if you're like me, You shake your head at the children of Israel. You guys have got to be kidding me. What are you thinking? God has provided you miracle after miracle after miracle, and now you're shoving that back in his face saying, hey, what's wrong with you? We hate this stuff. So often we're the same way. So often we say this, God, the circumstances that you've put me in, I don't like. God, the the place that you've put me at, the job that you've given me, the position that you've given me, I don't like this anymore. God, the spouse that you've given me, oh, hang on now. Hang on now. We do this all the time. God, this, these kids that you've given me, this house, man, it's just falling apart. I'm so sick of looking at it. God, this food that you've put on my table, you. We begin to complain about the blessings that God has given us, and we all think that's pretty silly, and I I would agree with you it's pretty silly, but I'm pretty sure we've done most of those things. Maybe I'm the only one. Maybe I'm the only loser in this building. It's absolutely possible. But how would you like it if your children complained about the nice things that you've given them? It's happened. Dad, look at this bike. You should see my friend's bike. It's way better. 
Kids do it all the time. We used to, uh, my mom would, is actually a very good cook, and some of the guys that have been on the fishing trip uh, have experienced that firsthand. Um, but she would often make new recipes. And we weren't very adventurous, and my mom wasn't probably the best at trying new things. And she would work hard on them, and she would present them with love and realizing that, you know, she was doing her best. And so often we would she would say, it's a new recipe today. And we're like, oh. And you could, as soon as we did that, you could immediately see the frustration come over her face. And my mom is not one to hide her emotions at all. And she was the type of person that would give us a lecture on how we should be grateful for what we were given. And as we got older and we're able to drive, and she says, if, he doesn't like, if you don't like it, McDonald's is just down the road. And just down the road was like 20 minutes down the road. We never went to McDonald's because we didn't want to disturb our mother's insides. She'd have an ulcer if we did that. And so often we, we get in this position where, you know what, we have all these blessings, especially in North America, folks. We have all these blessings God has given us so much, and we begin to complain about God's blessing. Well, God, maybe you should give me a better government. Well, God, maybe you should give me this. Or, God, come on, we, we're sick of this, and we don't like your blessings anymore. But, folks, remember, God puts circumstances, God puts things in our lives for a purpose, for a reason. He doesn't do things haphazardly. So not only do I want you to see the complaint, I want you to see, number three, the correction. You know God well enough by now, especially in these stories, that God doesn't let these things go by very lightly. In verse 6, the Bible says, And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people. And much people of Israel died. Pretty simply, God sends a fiery serpent into the camp, and they begin biting people, and many of the people die. That's the punishment. There's not much else I can add to that here. It's just pretty much it. But I want you to notice this. Complaining against God will always bring correction. Complaint against God will always bring correction. So if you begin complaining about the things God has provided in your life, and you begin complaining about God's vision for your life, and you begin complaining about what God's trying to do in your life, it will always bring correction of some sort. So sometimes teenagers, you think, oh, my parents. Just pay attention. Correction's going to come. It may not come in the form of a fiery serpent. But pay attention. It's going to come. You know what happens? You know what other seniors sometimes go, oh, the next generation. You know, we're all that God has given you. We are. Just be careful. Because complaint against God will always bring correction. Let me give you something else to think about. Every circumstance that God brings into your life is a life, uh, is a circumstance to bring you closer to him. So not only is God trying to do something in your life, he's trying to draw you closer to him. So every circumstance is an opportunity to bring you closer to God. Every circumstance, every circumstance, every circumstance. When you get in a car accident, Every circumstance is an opportunity, whether it's a punishment for wrongdoing. Pay attention to this. When I was a kid, I did stupid things. 
very dumb things. And you know what I got? I got punished for it. You know what that did? I guarantee you it did this. It brought me and my dad and my mom closer. Well, that's, that just doesn't make sense, Pastor Yeomans. It absolutely did. Because they were correcting me. They were molding me and they were shaping me and they were trying to get me into a point where I could be closer to them and do what's right. Whether it's punishment for wrongdoing or a trial to get you to trust God more. Every circumstance that God brings into your life is a circumstance to bring you closer to him. Now think about this. If that is true, which I believe it is, and we complain about that, and we fight against God about that, and we say, God, I don't want this circumstance. I don't want to be closer to you. What do you think God feels about that? The fourth thing I want you to see is the cure. The cure, verse 7. The Bible says, Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. You see, what I want you to notice is this. God doesn't just automatically take the serpents away and automatically heal everyone. You know what he does? He puts the onus back on the people. See, we have a responsibility to turn from our wicked way. We have a responsibility to notice our sins. So that's the first thing that I want you to see under the cure. They had to confess. Notice this in verse 7. Therefore the people came to Moses and said what? We have sinned. Why? For we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. If you have children, you ask them, what are you sorry for? Well, I'm sorry. What are you sorry for? Well, I, whatever, we want specifics. We want to know why they're sorry. We want to know if they understand what they did wrong. And here the children of Israel are. They are confessing before God. We did wrong. We have sinned to you, Moses, and we have sinned to God. There's confession. The first step in restoring a relationship with God, folks, get this. The first step in restoring a relationship with God is, first of all, confessing. You can't restore a problem if you don't realize you have a problem. And these, the people, the children of Israel here are like, we realize it. We did wrong. We shouldn't have said the things that we said. We shouldn't have complained about the things that we complained about. And we're sorry we have sinned. Please, please, please help us. Notice they turned to the right person as well. They turned to God they turn to Moses, who was in the place of God at this point. And, and so they're turning to the right person. Folks, if you're in a circumstance that you don't like and you've been complaining about it and God's brought something in your life, the first thing that you need to do is confess that to God. It's me. I did it. It wasn't my spouse's fault. It wasn't my kid's fault. It wasn't my parents' fault. It wasn't my grandparents' fault. It's my fault. I did it. I have sinned. Confess that to God. And then the second thing that I want you to see is they had confidence. They had put their trust in the fact that looking upon a brass serpent would heal them 
and save them from death. You see, it took a little bit of confidence in this inanimate object, simply a brass serpent, a, a, a metal snake. And they, all they had to do was say, I'm just going to look at that thing. Did they have to fully believe, fully in, in all of their might say that, oh, this thing is going to heal me? No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says they just had to look. But they had to put, they had to confident, they had to put their confidence in that. I'm looking because that's what God said would heal me. I'm looking because that's what, that's what said, God said that would make me uh, remain alive because the Bible says that people were dying over and over and over again. Many people died. How many of them you, do you think thought, that's not going to work? You can, you can make as many serpents as you want, Moses. That's just not going to work. In fact, it's not going to work. I'm not looking at it. How many of you think thought that? How many of, you, how many of them think, I can't be bothered with that? I am far too busy. I am dying here. How many of you thought that? How many of them you think thought, I'm not going to travel all the way up to the tabernacle to look at a serpent on a pole. What's that going to do? I'm just saying, these are things that sometimes we think. Well, what is praying going to do? What, what is reading my Bible going to do? What is God going to do in my life? I mean, what is, what is doing the right thing? What is not lying anymore going to do? And we think these things are so petty and so little and so, so insignificant, yet it's what God said. It's, it's what God said, and we have to put our confidence in him. They had to put their confidence or their trust that this serpent, and looking at this serpent would, would heal them. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The first step is confession and realizing that when I confess, God is faithful. God is faithful. I believe this. I believe the children of Israel had forgotten that they were God's chosen people. I believe that they had forgotten that God chose them to enter into land that he had promised them. To be a people as the sands of the seashore. There was going to be a multitude of people. They had easily, I don't know how they do this, but they had easily dismissed the miracles that God had done. Our soul loatheth this light bread. And they were disgusted by the way that God had provided, was providing for them. So here's the question as I bring this to a conclusion. What have we forgotten? What have we forgotten? What have we dismissed from our minds? What miracles in our life have we pushed away and said, you know what, I just don't even like this? Do you realize that God has nothing but your best interest in mind? Isn't it about time we quit fighting Him? Isn't it about time that we said, God, I realize that Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 is true. I know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Isn't it time that we quit fighting him? Isn't it time that we just started trusting him? Isn't it time that our attitude changed? You see, 
It doesn't matter what our circumstances are. It doesn't matter if our circumstances change. There is somebody that doesn't change. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is somebody that doesn't change. So if Jesus Christ is our focus, then our circumstances don't matter. And we can continue on with the joy of the Lord. We can continue on conquering. We can continue on doing what it is God wants us to do. Our attitude is often a reflection of our circumstances. But I want you to think about one last thing. Our circumstances are a reflection of what God wants to accomplish. Our circumstances are a reflection of what God wants to accomplish. So I don't know, I, don't, I know most of you, but I don't know exactly what you're going through. I don't know what circumstances are hurting you, but can you do this for me? Instead of asking God to remove those circumstances, would you do this? God, what do you want me to learn from these circumstances? God, how can I draw closer to you in these circumstances? You know the verse, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17 that says, In everything give thanks. I think it's actually verse 18. In everything give thanks. That's impossible. It is not even doable. Nobody can give thanks in everything. If every circumstance is a reflection of God, what God wants to accomplish in your life, you can go, God, thank you for drawing me closer to you. And you won't be like the children of Israel complaining about every circumstance. Thinking you have it good at one moment and then your, your sails are deflated the next. You can have a joy unspeakable and full of glory because you're just constantly saying glory be to God. Glory be to God. Somebody told me last week there was a person that they heard about that ran out of food and they said praise the Lord we get to trust God again. Folks this is the type of relationship we need to have. This is where we need to be. This is not where the children of Israel were. But folks, I want to guarantee you, they get to that point. There's many more steps and we'll see them. But can I challenge you, your circumstances are a direct reflection of what God wants to accomplish in your life. I'm going to ask your head bowed and eyes closed, please.